We have three boys. Every morning I wake up wondering how I'm gonna make it through today. Why is there suffering? My 17-year-old son just told me he's gay. Would a loving God really send him to hell? My best friend is a Muslim, but she acts more like Christ than anyone I know. Is there really only one way? Thank you, Lord. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. How many of you are here? Would you raise your hand if you're here? All right, almost everybody. Welcome to those listening in Overflow, those watching by live stream. Uh, I'll just talk for a second while I get the sound level set here properly. Uh, it's always special to come back here. I was born in Manhattan and raised on Long Island. Uh, fell into sin as a teenager on the island. Ended up as a heroin shooting LSD using rebellious teenage rock drummer. Got saved at the age of 16. And as a Jewish person, where would, where, where, if you were God and you had a 16-year-old Jewish hippie rock drumming rebellious teenager shooting heroin using LSD, and you were going to save that person, where would you send him? Of course, an Italian Pentecostal church. <laughs> so I got saved in one in Queens... New York, and then it moved to Long Island and got to New Bethlehem and spoke to youth when I was just a, a teenager here. And some of the folks that are here this morning knew me uh, when I was first saved. Some even knew me before I was saved. One young lady, when I first went to the first service, she knew me from high school. She wrote down in her diary, Antichrist comes to church. <laughs> so I was, I was lost before I was saved. And, um, you know, a church like this, the pastor's you know, we get the emails and our office is setting the meetings up and the pastor's name Malazzo and his secretary is Rizzuto. It's like I feel very much at home and they have Italian food here that's real Italian. I went to a, a, an Italian restaurant in Pensacola, Florida one time and they served the food and I was like, what is this? It was like, any, anyway, enough said. So it's, it's good, to, good to be here. And also, you drive properly here and you know how to speak English with a proper accent. So... Glad to be with you, and thanks for standing with us financially and helping us. How many of you listen to my radio show? All right, a good number of you. All right. We're on, across the nation, two hours live every day, but different cities get different times. So you get the first hour, 2 to 3 in the afternoon, on WMCA. That's 570 AM. Or if you live out further on the island, all the way out to East Hampton, East, East Hampton, WLIX, any of their stations, carry me from 2 to 3. But in this area, 570 AM, it's a live call-in show called The Line of Fire. If you can't listen live, go to my website. If you're online now, visit the website, askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Or uh, if you're on Facebook, Every day we post what we're talking about on the radio on Facebook. We have edifying discussions. Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on Facebook. When, when we expanded our radio show, we had been on for a few years. When we expanded uh, to go nationally, we're on about 200 stations now across the country. But when we expanded to go into 14 major cities in America, New York and D.C. and Boston and Miami and Philly and Denver and Atlanta and different cities like that, the number one city, the number one station that said we've got to be on and build everything around was, was being on WMCA because of my heart for the city, because of growing up here, because we can touch more people here than anywhere in America, because we can reach a lot of Jewish people through the broadcast. This was our number one city. If you can believe it, though, and you know what it costs to live in New York, half of our entire radio budget is spent to be on that station right here in New York. Run 200 stations around the country, but in terms of our live daily broadcast, half of our budget consists being here on the air in New York. So make sure you listen. I heard something that I don't think I've ever heard before from a New Yorker. One of our listeners came over to the book table and wanted me to know. He said, I listen to you every day when I'm driving on the Belt Parkway. He said, I hope that there will be traffic. Next time you're in a traffic jam between two and three, probably someone was praying for traffic so that they could listen longer in the car as they're driving. And then someone else came up to me 
listens regularly. He said, I wish there were a hundred of you on. I said, well, there are and there can be. I mean, I'm on around the country. The more support and help we have, the more people we can reach. And uh, we recently got a call. I'm not going to play it now. I played it for pastors on Friday. An 88-year-old Jewish woman, July 31st of this year, uh, she turned 88, Orthodox Jewish woman in Brooklyn, and she said, and there was a knock-knock at my heart, and when I opened the door, it was Jesus. <laughs> and it's the most amazing, she's like, oh, and so excited, and I'd answer a biblical question, and she's just thrilled. And, and then I said, we'll send you, I said, you still read? She goes, I read seven hours a day. I said, all right, we're going to send you some books. She was so excited. Well, she called back a couple weeks later to say she's reading the book she's around the clock and 24 hours she's reading and just embracing these things, getting into it. And I said, how did you, how did you come across the station? She said, well, when I found Jesus, then I had to look for Christian radio and I found 570 AM WMCA and then I found you. And so, anyway, it's just, just amazing who we get to touch and reach. So, so thanks for being part of the, the broadcast. Thanks for praying for us. Uh, it's just an amazing opportunity that I can be in one studio and from this one location literally talk to, to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people across America and then online people all around the world. And then I've, I've traveled to places like India where I minister and then done a live broadcast from India at literally at 2 in the morning. And there we are in a hotel in India talking to people across the nation and around the world. So it's an amazing opportunity. It's something the Lord called me to do. The very situations that you would dread to be in, like your worst nightmare, that's my dream come true. The most controversial, difficult, painful, confrontational situations that you would run from, I run to, just because I'm called to do it. So make sure you listen, share it with others, and then stop at the book table on the way out. Uh, we have a couple of, of books there and a a friend of mine, Rabbi Shmuley, I've debated many times. Some of you have been to the debates. He's known as America's most famous rabbi. He wrote a book last year after six years of research called Kosher Jesus, where he was going to present a Jesus to the Jewish people, different than the Jesus of the New Testament, but one that he said would be the acceptable real Jesus. He, he bashes me throughout the book, and then he asked me to write an endorsement. <laughs> And I, th I thought, how can I, I, I disagree with your premise. I disagree with what the whole book's about. You bashed me through the book, although nicely. So I thought, all right, here, uh, here's my endorsement. <clears throat> I disagree with this, 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 but it's great to see an Orthodox rabbi embracing Jesus as a fellow Jew and fellow rabbi. <clears throat> I said, we can call this America's most famous rabbi meets the most famous rabbi of all time. <clears throat> well, when his book came out, Suddenly there was controversy about it in the Jewish world, and God spoke to me, write your own book that'll set the record straight, write it now, and get it out quickly. Well, God moved on me in a three-week period to write this book. From the day I started to the day it was published by a major publisher on my desk was less than 10 weeks. Never heard of anything like that. It's called The Real Kosher Jesus, and yes, I attack his position through the book, and he wrote an endorsement of my book. <laughs> Uh, but it's the number one tool I've ever produced to give to a Jewish person. Maybe they read his book or they're just curious about Jesus. And it's the number one book I wrote for a Christian that will open your heart and mind to who Jesus Yeshua really is. So you can get this on the way out. The subject we're going to talk about today, the problem of suffering, uh, there's a two-hour debate that I did with a famous agnostic at Ohio State University on this very subject. So any book you get will give you the, the DVD free, or you can get that separately. And uh, some of these tools are also available online. And uh, whoops, excuse me. And those that are concerned about moral, social issues, make sure you get my book, A Queer Thing Happened to America, uh, titled in such a way to avoid controversy. <clears throat> when I lived in Pensacola, Florida, one of the jarring things there was that the people did not understand sarcasm. And I would say something dripping with sarcasm, and they would go, oh, praise the Lord, brother. I go, no, no, that's sarcasm. So it's nice to be back in New York where sarcasm is kind of a way of life, and when I'm sarcastic, you understand that. But in all seriousness, what we want to talk about today is the ultimate real question. It's not just a theological question. 
People who say they're atheists ask it. People who are Muslims, Hindus ask it. People who are devoted Christians ask it. People who used to have faith ask it. It's the ultimate bottom line question, and it's the problem of suffering. And I want to say honestly that many of the answers we have to this question are really superficial. Many times we're afraid to really ask the tough questions because we think there may not be answers. Many times we have kind of this superficial push-button Christianity where the depth of our answer is look at the person next to you and say, God is good, God is good, I'm happy, you're happy, and we all leave with the superficial smile but hurting on the inside. These are deep, difficult questions. If God really is good, and if he really created this whole world, and he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing, why would he make something with so much pain? Why would he create a world in which right now as I talk, there are little children wasting away in a children's hospital, dying of leukemia and other diseases, and, and parents crying their eyes out by the bedside as their kids laying there in agony, and there doesn't seem to be an answer. Surely if we had the power to change things, we would. Surely if we could relieve that pain and suffering, we would. And yet if God is so good and better than us, why doesn't he relieve all the pain and suffering? And worse still, why did he create a world knowing there would be such pain and suffering? These are questions we're going to deal with today honestly and candidly. And let's start in Psalm 6. Psalm 6. I got saved in 1971. Nancy, my wife, got saved in 1974. We're both Jewish, but she was a hardcore atheist when we met. And God opened up her heart and mind, and she became a believer, and then God brought us together. And we've been blessedly and happily married since 1976. But because she came out of atheism, and because she has great compassion for suffering people, when I've come to her with my brilliant answers sometimes, she'll just shake her head and say, that doesn't work for an atheist. Many a night she has cried herself to sleep because there's so much pain and suffering in the world, and often she feels the weight of it. When 9-11, the anniversary comes, she not only remembers her brother who was killed in the World Trade Center, but she thinks of all those whose lives still carry open wounds so when I'll come with an answer that, that's not deep enough, she'll be candid enough to tell me it may work for you, but it doesn't work for someone who's really suffering. The things we're going to share with you today, the things we're going to open up, are not superficial. And notice Psalm 6. The psalmist says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I'm faint. Or Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony, my soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Wait a second. This is in the Bible. The Bible's supposed to build our faith. The Bible's supposed to encourage us. The Bible's supposed to lift us up. And here there's a verse in the Bible where the psalmist is saying, how long? I read those verses, and that encourages my faith. Because God wants it put in the Bible that it's not always snap your fingers and there's a rainbow. There's not always an instant answer to painful and difficult situations. In fact, look at what the psalmist says. Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he's dead. Who praises you from the grave? In other words, I'm about to die. And if I die, I can't serve you and worship and praise you in this world anymore. I'm worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. The psalmist is saying, you've been there, I've been there. <clears throat> you've come to a point without hope, I've come to a point without hope. You've come to a point where the only thing you can do is cry your eyes out. That's in the Bible. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed, they will turn back in sudden disgrace. He may not have gotten the 
answer yet, but he was confident he was coming. And, and God is confident enough of his goodness <clears throat> that he puts these difficult passages in the Bible. <clears throat> there are passages in the Bible that accuse God of all kinds of wickedness. Job, in the midst of his suffering, says that, that God just indiscriminately wipes out good people and bad people. And that why people suffer seems to be completely random and without meaning, and God looks like a monster. You'd say, why is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible to say sometimes that's how it looks. And, and God is not afraid of people asking honest questions. I, I want to tell you as parents, one of the worst things you can do with your kids is discourage honest questions. And if they make you nervous and you honestly don't know how to answer, just calmly tell them, I don't have an answer, but I have some friends who do. I don't have an answer, but I can point you in a direction. When we can't even talk about something, Daddy, if God is good, do you don't even ask why? You don't even, that, that discourages faith. That makes people think that we are so shallow and so superficial that we don't really have an answer to the things that hurt. And that we just go on with our program services and sing our happy songs and raise our hands and go home like robots. No, real faith asks real questions and comes to real answers before a real God. The old challenge is this. God cannot be all good, all powerful, and all-knowing, otherwise he never would have created a world with so much pain and suffering. And remember, while you might sit here happy and your life might be blessed and you and your kids might be healthy and you might be financially prosperous, remember, as you sit here, people are dying in agony. As we sit here, someone just received news about another suicide. Someone just received news about an alcoholic who was driving out of control and killed a mom and her kids as they were leaving church. If God is all loving and all powerful and all knowing, he never would have created a universe like this. It's the old argument. You see, if he was all knowing and all powerful, then it's clear he's not all good because he would have seen what was coming, he would have had power to change it, and yet he didn't. If he was all good and all powerful, he obviously wasn't all knowing because he didn't see what was happening. Otherwise, if he was good and all powerful, he would have done something about it. Or if he was all good and all knowing, so he saw what was gonna happen, and he saw the pain and suffering that would come, he obviously didn't have the power to do anything about it. But there's a solid answer to that objection which is he could be all good and all powerful and all knowing and ultimately have a plan that in the end makes sense in light of the pain and suffering and hell of this world. Now, now I, I want to read something to you from the scriptures. I don't know that this is one of your favorite memory verses, but it says in Ecclesiastes 7.15, I have seen everything in this meaningless life including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. That's in the Bible. How many of you memorized that verse? Let's quote this verse before we eat tonight. <clears throat> I've seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. Ecclesiastes 7.15. One Old Testament scholar said this, if you want to complain against God, and you want to rail against God, there are some forms in the Bible already filled out for you. You can take these words and you can pray them. You say, why is that in the Bible? Because from our human vantage point, that's how it sometimes looks and feels. And God understands that. And God's not afraid for us to wonder about these things and to say, God, I cannot reconcile your goodness with what I see in this world. Now, here's the problem. If we take God out of the picture and we just say that we are here by freak accident, that we are the results of unguided, random evolution and the survival of the fittest, then there is no problem of suffering because there is no morality and there is no right or wrong. It's the survival of the fittest. 
And if the white race is the fittest and wipes out the black race, or if the Hispanic race is the fittest and wipes out the white race, or if the black race is the fittest and wipes out the Asian race, then whoever survives, survives. And whatever suffering there is, there is no moral problem when a spider kills a fly. There is no moral problem when a tiger kills a giraffe. But there's a moral problem when human beings suffer. Why? Because we recognize we're not just animals. And we're not just the products of unguided random evolution. And we're here by a freak accident. If we're here by a freak accident, how do we even know the words I'm speaking have any meaning? If our brain is just neurons firing, how do we know there's such a thing as right and wrong? No, the reason we feel the way we feel is we're created in the image of God. And we're created with a sense of morality and we're created with a sense of right and wrong beyond the survival of the fittest. And we're created with a sense, hear me, in the image of God that we know things should not be the way they are now. If you have outrage over moral injustice and say, why didn't God intervene? If you have concern and pain about suffering humanity, and you say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. God says, amen to that. God says that the reason you feel this world is not the way it's supposed to be is because you're created in the image of God. And God himself in the scriptures makes clear that this is not the way it's ultimately going to be. Remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You say, oh, so that's your answer. We're all gonna go to heaven one day and be happy and others will burn forever and that'll make us happy. No, no, no. My answer is that in order to get where we're going, we have to pass through this world. My answer is in order for us to experience who God is, and be made into the ultimate image of who he wants us to be, we must pass through this transition age. And let me tell you plainly, if there is no God, then there is no hope. If there is no God and there is no world to come, then that kid that you buried in a tragic accident, it's over. That suffering you find yourself in the midst of, there's no good answer for it. That hardship and pain that your family went through, that's it. Just like a fly got swatted, just like a mosquito got knocked out of the air, just like you ran over a rodent on the street, that's what happens to human beings. Everything inside of us says, no, there's got to be more. Everything inside of us says, it can't just be that a human life is like that roadkill. Why? Because we're created in the image of God, but it is going through this world in the midst of suffering and pain and making decisions and choices and learning from the good and the bad that we ultimately grow into the image of God. Let me lay out some simple principles for you. Number one is this. The Bible tells us what we need to know, not what we want to know. The Bible tells us what we need to know, not what we want to know. How many of you have raised children? How many of you share all the details of your life with your three-year-old? One of my friends with six kids has had many a financial miracle. He's lived sacrificially for ministry work, but he's had many a financial miracle. And his kids are getting a little older now. A couple of them are teenagers. But as those kids were little growing up, there was always food on the table for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I said to him, it's a shame that they didn't know that almost every day there was a miracle taking place. <laughs> because you don't tell your three-year-old there may not be food today unless there's a miracle. Why? Because a three-year-old can't comprehend and can't understand and can't handle certain things. Even when your kids are 12 or 13 or 15, you can't share everything with them because they can't handle it. Friends, we are not as smart and wise as we think we are. I studied Near Eastern languages and literatures at New York University. One of the first classes I had, my first classes in the master's program there, was in the language called Ugaritic. 
And there was a dispute between scholars as to whether Ugaritic was a Canaanite language or not. And I can explain the dispute that existed, some based on lexicography and some based on morphology, debate it. Oh, have I lost you? Well, let me explain further. You see, there was a top scholar named Moshe Held at Columbia, and he argued based on lexicography that Ugaritic should be classified as a Canaanite language. But Ignaz Gelb, who was the greatest Syriologist, argued that based on morphology, it was not a Canaanite language. Shall I explain in more depth? I was reading a definition once on quantum physics, and the more I read, the more confused I got. And the further the explanation got, the more it left me behind. Friends, we are not as smart as we think we are. And God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. One reason is we wouldn't understand it. Another reason is we might not be able to handle it. But hear me. I was driving the other day to a wedding where I had to participate for two of the students in our school of ministry. And I hadn't been to this particular location, so I plugged it into my GPS. And I want to tell you that that GPS sent me every turn was away from where I was supposed to go. <laughs> Listen to me. I knew I was going this way. In my mind, I was going out and heading north. And instead, it sends me first west and then south. But all I knew was follow the GPS because it told me I'm going to get to that destination. Every turn I met, from my brain, from my limited knowledge, sent me in the wrong direction. And a half hour later, I arrived right at that doorstep. Obviously, my sense of direction was not as keen and sharp as I thought it was. We are more little children with limited knowledge than we understand. God does not answer every question. One, because we couldn't understand it. Two, because we couldn't handle it. And three, the information might hurt us more than help us. But he tells us enough that if we'll follow his instructions or simply take his hand and follow him, we'll find absolute answers to the toughest, most difficult, painful questions that exist. Let me take this further. Number two, a loving relationship requires freedom of choice. Love cannot be coerced. Love cannot be forced. When I was flying at the airport the other day, I saw someone wearing a t-shirt, one of these sarcastic lines, I don't know if it was from a movie or some famous quote, the beatings will continue until morale improves. If you want real love, you can't beat that into people. You can't program them like robots. Let me ask you a question. If you had the choice, after this service, we push a button, and suddenly all of your freedom of choice will disappear. We push a button, you will no longer be able to make another choice for the rest of your life. You will be programmed by God only to do things that will make you happy and avoid suffering. And you can never make another choice and have no power of self-determination ever for the rest of your lives. How many would say, okay, push that button? No, what we value is freedom. Our country's built on a call for freedom. What we value most is to be able to make certain choices and, and learn from those choices and have the consequences of choices. But don't make us into robots. Let me ask you another question. Maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're struggling. We have a solution. Downstairs in the back of the cafe, there's a special drink. You can drink it and you'll be dead within 30 seconds. For all the visitors, this is make-believe, this is a joke. All the drinks there have been proven. Someone has tasted them first and tested them. They are life-giving, healthy drinks, although the coffee can be avoided. Why don't more people in the midst of suffering commit suicide? You'd think everyone suffering would just do it. Why does someone 85 years old in pain in the hospital, they're fighting for life? Why does someone in a wheelchair not just end their life? Because we've been made to live. Because our existence is the most important thing to us and our freedom of choice. And in order for God to create a world where there can be loving relationships 
and we could love him and know him and love each other and experience life together, two things had to exist. We had to be made and we had to be given freedom. And freedom has consequences. C.S. Lewis said this, try to exclude the possibility of suffering which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve and you find that you've excluded life itself. Free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. If you say, I didn't ask for this, well, would you rather not be? Would you rather not have freedom of choice? The fact is, the universe God created and the world he created is one that gives us existence and gives us freedoms, what we prize most. And that have, those things have consequences. And we make choices, and some of those choices bring pain and destruction. A lot of the suffering that's in the world today is because of human choices. People killing each other in war. People being selfish while we're dealing with overweight people starving. A lot of the suffering in the world has to do with choices we make, and that's part of the very gift of our existence. Let me go further with this. Number three, this world is not the final destination. It is important. It is where we live and grow and experience life together. My mom turns 90 this, this Tuesday. It worked out perfectly for me to be here, and then families traveled up from North Carolina and Maryland to be with her for her 90th birthday. And we were driving around with, with the family last night for a few minutes, and I was telling them, this, this happened here and this happened here. And this is where your mom was born, and this is where this happened and that happened. This, this is our life. This is important, but this world is not the final destination. This world is a transition age. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we've quoted. Why? Because we are passing through and there is an ultimate world where there will be no suffering and no pain. And the only way we can get to that world is through this world. And hear me, you don't like the way this world is. You have moral objections to it. You have issues to it. So does God. You say, What? He's not happy with things either. Do you know the scriptures speak of him not just rejoicing, but also grieving and feeling pain? You know what's written in Isaiah 63, 9? Isaiah 63, 9, in all Israel's affliction, he was afflicted? What? Well, why didn't he create a world where that wouldn't happen? Because he knows where we're going, and he knows the journey that we have to take, and he knows to get us to the ultimate destination, we have to pass through this world. This is the proving ground. This is the place of growth and transformation. This is the place where we get to walk by faith. We don't get to do that in the world to come. This is the place where we get to take our baby steps. This is the place where we get to stretch out and go for it. This is the place that prepares the way for the world to come. In fact, if there's no world to come, you have every reason to be depressed. If there's no world to come and there's no God, suicide makes sense. If there's no world to come and no God, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Carnality is a good choice. And even if you get sick, so you get sick, you commit suicide, you're gone. We're not just animals, though. Something in us looks at this world and says, it's not the way it's supposed to be. God agrees with that. Hear me. God created a world in which he would have to come into our world and suffer for us. Why not just bypass that? I've often thought of this image. Here's a terrible, devastating earthquake. People by the tens of thousands have died, others maimed and injured. Here are little children buried in an orphanage, screaming for someone to pull the rubble off of them. And someone says, where is God? How could this happen if there's really a God? Someone says, look, there he is over there. And there you see the Lord on his hands and knees hands completely bloody as he's pulling rubble and said, hey, come on, help. Let's rescue these kids. 
In other words, he's not some distant bystander gloating as human beings suffer. He's not sitting up there with the angels devising another sinister plan. All right, we sent a tsunami, an earthquake, terrorist attack. What else can we do to torture these people? No, he actually creates a world where things happen that grieve him. It says in Lamentations, the third chapter, that he doesn't take joy in afflicting human beings. Instead, he comes into our world, and the world that he creates is one that causes him to have to suffer with us and for us, and all the guilt, all the sin, all the things that you and I did that only God knows about, all the wicked thoughts and actions and desires and deeds, the selfishness and the lust and the pride and the hypocrisy, every wrong thing we've done, rather than damning us for it, he comes into our world, Jesus comes into our world and suffers for us. Which is why John Stott, Anglican leader in England who went to be with the Lord recently, why John Stott said, I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. Where is God? There he is hanging on the tree for you and for me. There he is coming into our world. It's the ultimate proof that this is the only way it could be to get us where we're going. Because not only does it cause us pain, it brings ultimate suffering to God. Let me give you an interesting example of this. In, in the first chapter of Mark's gospel, in the first chapter of Mark's gospel, there's an account where a leper comes to Jesus asking for healing. A man with a severe skin condition. And most of our translations say, moved with compassion. It's Luke, uh, Mark 1, beginning of verse 41 for your notes. Most of our translations say, moved with compassion, he touches the man and heals him. But there are some Greek texts, and some scholars argue that this was the original reading, that says, moved with anger, he healed the man. He said, was he angry because this man dared to ask him to be healed? No. Was he angry because he thought you sinned and that's why you have leprosy? No. If that's an accurate textual reading, we know elsewhere he was moved with compassion and he healed. But if that's an accurate reading, why was he angry? Because that's not the way humans were created to be. Because he didn't make a human race so that people could be disfigured by leprosy. He didn't make a human race so a little child could die of leukemia in a hospital. He didn't make a human race so that tens of thousands of babies could be starving to death right now. And he gets involved and demonstrates the character of God by doing what? Healing. Again, it begs the question, well, then why didn't he make it without suffering and pain? And that's the answer to the question. In order to give us freedom of choice, in order to give us existence, and in order to make us who we need to be, this is the path we have to go through. I don't mean to give a, a trivial a trivial illustration here, but, but allow me to, to do this to make a bigger point. A couple years ago, I had a personal assistant, and I said, hey, it would be great if we could work out together so I'd get in better shape, just have more energy in life, and so on. And we started to work out together, and then he got called to be a missionary to the Philippines, which is what happened to my last assistant before him. A lot of our best people get called out on the mission field, which we love. They graduate from our school, then they go out in the mission field, and they serve there for some many years already. So I was working out with a 30-year-old guy who used to play football. So we'd work out, we'd push each other, but didn't really have anyone to, to push us properly. And we have a member of our church, a member of our home congregation, a fellow named Scott, who's a certified personal trainer. I mean, he, he looks like a bodybuilder. He's 40 years old, but in amazing shape. And he works out with professional football players and basketball players. We were doing an exercise the other day. He said, oh yeah, I do this with the NASCAR drivers. So he's trained and he said to one of my colleagues, hey, if I came in a couple afternoons a week, be right after my radio show at four, if I came in a couple afternoons a week, would, could, could I work you guys out? Just my gift to you as leaders in the church. We said, you bet, man, let's do it. And I want to tell you, I have hurt in places I didn't know I had muscles. We do some exercises that looks like the simplest little exercise, and after a minute, the pain is so intense, you don't think you can take it. And, and we will literally be laying on the ground after some of these exercises, breathing heavily, 
in pain from head to toe. He goes, okay, next, gentlemen, it's like we're not done yet. An hour of this. We did a routine the other day where we had to do one push-up, then stop, then two, then stop, then three, then stop, then four. And then it, it ended up getting, you know, then 20, then stop, then 21, then stop. We ended up doing, and I'm sure the form was not so good at the end, 501 push-ups in 24 minutes. And then from there, 130 shoulder lifts. And then from there, almost 600 squats. As I shared with the first service, I am such a humble man, I cover my muscle with a layer of fat. <laughs> but you know, we have these little sayings when you push each other. No pain, no gain. Pain is weakness leaving your body. And there'd be times I hit failure there and I'm frustrated because I couldn't finish. I go home and I finish those routines. It's a little thing. It's a trivial thing. But we understand in order to get to a certain point, you've got to go through some pain. In order to get to a certain point, certain discipline has to be built into your life. In order to become what you want to be, you have to pass through things you'd rather not pass through. The, the next point I want you to hear is, as I bring this to a close in the next few minutes is that often there's a redemptive side to suffering. It's not all so simple that a good God wouldn't allow suffering. Many of us are only who we are today because of the things we've lived through. I watched a documentary the other day about a, a fellow who at the age of 50 finally boxed a professional match and then retired. He got a phone call from the president he was wrongly convicted of a murder that he didn't commit. He spent, I don't know, 20 or 30 years in prison and finally got out of prison and, and now has a foundation to help hurting kids. And, and here the president calls him to commend him and documentaries written about him. You know, if he didn't go through that hell, he would have just been some other guy on the street or some other guy in his neighborhood. It's the worst thing that could have happened, 20 or 30 years imprisonment for a crime you didn't commit, but it's made him who he is today. Often the worst things in your life, if you'll believe God, can become the best things. Joseph goes as a prisoner to Egypt, ends up a slave, ends up in the deepest dungeon, and God uses that to save Israel and to save nations and to make Joseph into the man that he's supposed to be. Often going through suffering, it produces compassion. Often, going through suffering produces hope and faith and perseverance. We look at someone else's suffering and we lose faith. How could a good God let that happen to that person? And the person says, hey, I believe God. I came to faith through this suffering. I've been changed. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a political prisoner of the former Soviet Union and became world famous when he came out of prison, he said, I nourished my soul there in prison, and I say without hesitation, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Late NFL player Daryl Stingley, many of you that followed football years back, remember he was terribly injured in a preseason game, a vicious hit, ended up in a wheelchair. Here's a football player in a wheelchair. Spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. This is what he said. He said, I think as a result, I've gotten more out of life, particularly on an emotional level, and as a result, I feel like my life is much more fulfilled. Victor Frankl survived Auschwitz. This is what he said. The truth is that among those who actually went through the experience of Auschwitz, the number whose religious life was deepened, in spite, not to say because of this experience, by far exceeds the number of those who gave up their belief. And then an account I'd read about years ago, I remember hearing the news, a, a couple with some older kids, and then six little kids, six younger kids. They were on the road, in the van with their six younger kids. There was a truck driver who did not actually have a license to be driving a truck. He didn't have the freight loaded properly on his truck. A metal rod broke free, slid under the van as they were following that truck, driving on the road caused an explosion, the six kids were burned to death. Parents somewhat burned but survived. 
and I heard they're strong people of faith. There they were at the funeral, just worshiping God and thanking God, and, and I wondered what's going to happen in six months. I believe they're people of faith. What's going to happen in a year? What's going to happen when the dust settles? Many of you have suffered a lot, but can you imagine losing six of your kids in a single day? And that's through someone being irresponsible. This is what the mother said. This is what Janet Willis said. Today, I have a far greater understanding of the goodness of God than I did before the accident. I turned to God for strength because I had no strength. I learned about Him. He made sense when nothing else made sense. If it weren't for the Lord, I would have lost my sanity. There's an old poem that says, Measure thy life by loss instead of gain. Not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and whoso suffereth most hath most to give. There's a choice to make today. Will I embrace bitterness, unforgiveness, despair, unbelief, walk around angry and vindictive, or... Will I turn back to God and worship Him, He who can turn the worst situations into the best? A college professor gave her students a little test to do, a little exercise. She said, write on one piece of paper on the front page, front side, the 10 worst things that ever happened in your life. Think about it and write them out. She gave some time. Then she said, all right, flip the page over, write the 10 best things that ever happened in your life. And for many of the students, some of the items on the front were also on the back. The worst things were the best things. It's not trite or trivial when the Word of God tells us all things work together for good to those who love God. Even things that are bad and evil and wrong in themselves, even things where we made wrong choices, if we'll humble ourselves before God, things can be turned around. Last point I want to make is this. When we read the book of Job, which is the ultimate book about suffering, when we read the book of Job, there are several lessons we learn. On the one hand, we learn, don't, don't blame that person suffering. You don't know why they're suffering. You don't know why their family was killed. You don't know why they got sick. You don't know why they had the financial collapse. Yes, sometimes it's because of our sin. Many times it's not. We don't know why. When you're first saved, you think good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. You go on following the Lord for a while, you realize it's not that simple. First lesson in Job, don't, don't judge the person suffering because you don't know why. You must be wicked, Job, because these things don't happen to good people. See that. You don't know why. On the flip side, don't judge God. You must be a wicked God because only a good God would, would a good God would stop that from happening? Only a wicked God would make that happen. You don't know. You really don't have the answer. Don't judge the person. Don't judge God. But here's the ultimate answer in the book of Job. Job never gets his questions answered. Job is never told about Satan and what Satan did. He's never told about what was happening behind the scenes. You know the one thing he's told? He has an encounter with God. The ultimate solution is not an answer, it's an encounter. We can present you with solid answers that are true and that meet us where we are, but the ultimate answer is not an answer, it's an encounter. And when we encounter God in His beauty and His goodness and in love, all the questions disappear. And I've been through people who've been through all kinds of hell and suffered all kinds of unimaginable loss, and they are the greatest people to testify to how good God is, not because they're living in denial, but because they're living in reality. When I debated Professor Bart Ehrman, that's the DVD I mentioned, the famous agnostic and New Testament scholar. When I debated him, and if you, if you watch the DVD, listen to it, you'll hear what I heard. He sounded angry all night. Even atheists said to us after the debate, we agreed with his arguments, but we felt love and welcome from you. He seemed angry. And when I really looked at it and listened to it, I said, I think he's angry because his father died of cancer and he wasn't healed. Because if there is no God, who are you angry at? What are you angry at? And yet there was this cry, you could say, that was on the inside, at least in my opinion, and hence that anger. You know the answer to that? 
is an encounter with God, which goes beyond our intellect and satisfies us to the core of our being. And I invite you today, if you've never known the Lord, to taste and see. Some of you used to believe, used to pray for the sick, used to be fervent, but then you hit some walls and, and you lost hope and you're afraid to believe and you don't want to take the risk. Can I tell you, it's your only avenue of hope. It's your only way of escape and it's the only way to bring good out of evil and to bring hope out of darkness. Take the plunge, take the risk and change will come. I want you to stand to your feet. Please stand with me. By all means, come tonight. It's going to be a completely different presentation, and then we'll have at least a full hour of Q&A. If you've got skeptic friends or people of other religions, bring them out so we can have wonderful Q&A tonight. I'll be able to greet you briefly at the, the book table after the meeting. You can talk to me on the radio on a daily basis. But right now, this is you and God. I'm going to pray, and Pastor Steve's going to come up. Father, in Jesus' name, this day, for those in the overflow, for those watching on live stream, for those in the building, may hope arise. May life arise. May faith arise. May despair and bitterness and questions and agony turn to life and hope and joy. Turn things around for good and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was a busy week for me. It started with a funeral for a dear, dear friend of ours who her stepmom died. And most of the people that came to the funeral in the morning, on that Monday morning, were not believers. And you know, when you have a whole bunch of non-believers in front of you, you could be intimidated, but I said, God, I'm just going to do the same thing that I do at every single funeral. I'm going to offer hope. I'm going to offer the hope that comes through eternal life. You see, God's answer for all the suffering in this world is heaven. Now you might say that's trivial, but it's true. God's answer for all the suffering in this world is heaven. And so I, I did the funeral and I, and I just spoke very lovingly about how to a Christian when we die it's not over it's just the beginning of eternal life and really Jesus always talked about the eternal question he talked about eternity if you if you look in scriptures you'll find the Messiah you'll find Jesus always confronting people with eternity he was moved with compassion and there were times when he reached his hand out and he healed the sick there were times when he brought incredible incredible hope for this world to somebody that was suffering but he always turned our focus back to eternity because God's answer for this suffering world is that this is a transitional time in our life but heaven God will wipe away every tear heaven when we stand before God God will wipe away every tear and take away every sorrow and even these bodies of ours will be translated and in the twinkling of an eye we will be changed we don't know what we're going to be like but the Bible says we're going to be like him when we see him face to face and after the funeral everybody said thank you they were very kind people many of them weren't believers but they were kind to me and I I went and sat down we were having lunch together and this young lady came over to me she said Pastor Steve can you come and and speak to somebody they want to know what's the difference between one religion and Christianity and so I began to sit down and, and uh, talk to this young lady and there was a lady sitting right next she was here this other lady was sitting right next to me and I was just sharing the love of God and this this lady she said very angrily she said your religion has to your religion has to come up with a, a dying savior what kind of religion is that and I turned around I was the moment she said I was a little taken back by it and then my New York started to come out I was like what comes? what's the matter with you but just compassion just began to flow out of my heart just compassion for this young lady who was so angry she goes I don't believe in a God 
And when it was all said and done, the reason why she could not believe in a God was because something bad happened in her life. You know, I took my watch off and I gave her this watch illustration and I said, you know what? I was walking down the block one day and there was all these little pieces of metal all lying around. And then all of a sudden there was this little tornado and pop, this watch came out just like this. Do you believe that? She said, ridiculous. I could never believe that. I said, then, young lady, you have a lot more faith than I have because you see, I believe that intellectually, intellectually, I've got to know that there was a creator who created all things. When you look at the stars and the planets, when you look at a beautiful baby being born, you've got to say, somebody was the master designer for all of that. I said, I need to pray for you. She looked at me, she said, don't pray for me. I said, no, I need to pray for you because you've got a whole lot of faith. You got more faith than I could ever have because what you're saying is so ridiculous. To say that nothing created something. Nothing could create all of this. I said the real issue is that you're angry. See it's not that you can't believe in a God. It's that you're so angry because God didn't answer your prayer the way you prayed it. And I just, my heart broke for this young lady. I continue today to pray for her. See, because at the very core, at, at the very core of most atheists, they will tell you the reason why they will not believe is because God did not answer their prayer the way they prayed it. And my heart goes out for anyone in this room today, anyone watching live stream, anyone that's watching in the cafe, my heart goes out to you because perhaps maybe you're, you're broken hearted because maybe you believed at one time. Maybe you believed everything that your parents told you about God. Maybe you believe that God was a good God, but somehow, some way, your prayers didn't get answered. Friends, I want you to know today that His ways are not always our ways. And His thoughts are not always our thoughts. But in the end, when it's all said and done, I, I said to this young lady, you don't believe in God. Can I ask you a question, young lady? Have you been to every part of the universe and back? in all the galaxies and back she said no that's ridiculous then i said you see you can't prove to me that there is no god because you've not been every place in the universe and beyond to prove that there is no god you can never disprove the existence of god on the flip side i want to tell you that my life has been a very difficult life since the day i was four years old but i can tell you this one thing today after going through the death of my dad and the death of my stepfather and abuse in my life, I can tell you this, that God is good. That God is good. That God has a plan. And I was just talking to a young lady who called me up yesterday and she was telling me that she was abused. And I said, you know, I understand. I've been there. I understand what it's like to have pain on the inside and wonder where God is. I understand what it's like to want to commit suicide, but I also understand what it's like to surrender, to stop trying to get all the answers and simply trust in a God that can put your life back together again. I want you to bow your heads right now. You see, I can understand because I, I also know that there is a God in heaven who understands. He was willing to come and suffer like we are suffering today. We don't have a God that, has been, that hasn't been touched with our feelings of weakness and infirmity. But we have a God that loves us so much. That's the beauty of our God. That's what I said to this young lady. That's the beauty of our suffering Savior. That's the beauty of our suffering Messiah. That he was willing to come and suffer with us. He was willing to come and die on the cross cross so that we could say yes here's my God he loves me here's my God he died on the cross for me so that I might have eternal life I want to ask you this one question quickly if you died today are you sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven friend that's God's answer to your suffering today heaven and he wants to give you that as a free gift and you would say to me pastor Steve I'm not sure I've come to church today and I've got a broken heart or maybe you're you're cynical whatever it may be but you know this that when you walked into this room you felt the love of God you know that you felt the presence of God you know that somebody somehow is drawing you and you know that's God 
God and God wants to give you a chance right now. I say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I'm not sure that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. I want you to raise your hand right now in this place, in the balcony, on the first floor, in the cafe. God bless you for that hand. Somebody else in this room, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure beyond the shadow of the doubt that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I want you to raise your hand right now. Anybody else quickly with every head bowed. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, in the balcony as well. You say, Pastor, I, I need to know. Yes, I see that hand. In the cafe, we're going to pray for you. If you're in the cafe, I want to encourage you to just come right up from the cafe when I give an altar call and come and give your life to Christ today because God's got an answer for your life. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and I want you to say, if you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? And if they say, no, I'm not sure, I want you to take them by the hand and say, you know what, I'll go with you for this first moment in your life that first step I'll take it with you and let's go and pray I want to pray for you today I want to pray that God would heal your heart and I want to pray that God would reveal himself to you and I want to pray more than all of those things that you will be at peace with God and so right now would you turn to your neighbor in the balcony don't let that balcony hold you back I want you to ask your neighbor are you sure if, the, if you die today you go to heaven if they say I don't know say come on I'll go with you and if you raise your hand come meet me right here come meet me right here if you raise your hand get out of your seat right now and come meet me right now come on come on come on I want to pray for you if you raise your hand come on in, out of your seat God loves you today and he's extending his hand out to you today but you need to come in the balcony ask your neighbor right now do you know for sure and if they don't know then just let them come come just come you know what you say pastor why do you make people come out of their seat friend if you can't come out of your seat and come up here then you know what the truth is you might not really be serious about God coming into your life because you know what the truth is Jesus he came out of his seat it was called the throne and he came out of heaven and he died on the cross for us so that we might have eternal life I'm gonna give you a moment again if you're here you say pastor I want you to pray for me I need Jesus to come into my life maybe you're uh, away from the Lord maybe you've been angry at God because you, God didn't answer your prayer or you lost somebody you love they say you know what but today I'm just gonna choose to trust God I'm gonna to choose to come and bring my hurt and my brokenness to God friend I want you to know by his stripes he heals you emotionally he wants to come and heal your broken heart come out of your seat right now anybody else quickly quickly come anybody else you need to come right now and say yes I want to be prayed for today you're here today and you say pastor Steve I'm here and I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and I'm thankful for what God's doing in my life but you know what there's a group of people around me they're cynical about God they're critical about church whatever it may be and I'm gonna come today and I'm gonna pray specifically for them I'm gonna pray that God helps me equips me but that God would touch their hearts that's called intercession that's that's somebody in our life that doesn't know the Lord today we're gonna finish this service praying for somebody that we know that's hard it's somebody that says you know what I don't want to know about that God I'm gonna be praying for this young lady God's put her on my heart but you know somebody if you know somebody that doesn't know the Lord they're hardened in their heart I want you to raise your hand right now I want you to raise your hand right now I want you to come we're gonna pray for them we're gonna stand on God's Word and we're gonna pray for them amen I want you all that you've come out forward forward and you want to give your life to the Lord just move just a little bit over to this side would you come right now quickly quickly come 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 and I want everybody else I want everybody else that you have a un a person in your life that's a non-believer and they're hardened in their heart I want you to come right here we want to pray for them right now come on come on we're gonna pray and as the altar workers begin to pray for those that are here today that want to give their lives to Jesus I want to pray a prayer with you right now come on join hands together everybody join hands together Lord I just pray God in the name of Jesus that you would touch these that are here today God God I pray that you would bless them Lord Jesus Lord, I praise you and I thank you that they made their way out of their seat today because you touched their hearts, oh God. Lord, some of them, maybe they have broken hearts. Lord, heal their broken hearts, God. Some of them, Lord God, they have doubting hearts, God. Bring the light of your gospel to their doubting heart, God. But Lord, thank you, Jesus, that they have courageous hearts today, God. Lord, they could have sat in their seat, Lord, but they moved forward, God, because they knew that you were drawing them today. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in their life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... 
I want you to give these folks a big hand tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we're going to pray. This morning, we're going to pray for our loved ones. We're going to pray for those that don't know the Lord. And I want you to be encouraged because we've got information. We've got material for you on the back table to help you apologetically. And I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me before we dismiss everybody. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be answering the question. We're going to be answering the Jesus question next week. We're going to be answering the Jesus question. Can Jesus be the only way? Why do we believe that Jesus is the only way? The following week, we're going to answer the question in more detail. How do I know that there is a God? Tonight, we're going to do that, and then we're going to pick it up next, and then the following week as well. We're going to talk about evolution and creationism. We're going to talk about science and the Bible, and we're going to quit people. But you know what? Listen to me. Even if we can give everybody the right answer, if their heart is not in the right place, listen to me. They saw Lazarus rise from the dead and still they wanted to kill Jesus so we need to start praying for our loved ones this is the time for you listen in the next couple of weeks we're gonna give you an opportunity to invite your friends we're gonna give you an opportunity to begin to pray and fast for your friends and say you know what here's a great service would you come and attend the service with me on on, on October the 7th or uh, September the 30th just do everything you can to invite somebody out but we're gonna pray right now that God begins to touch their hearts come on raise your hands right now everybody in this place and I want you to think of the person that doesn't know the Lord and we're gonna begin to pray for them I want you to pray right now come on yes. I want you to pray their name out loud yes Lord I pray for Sean oh God thank you Jesus yes Lord I pray for Sean Lord God bless him Lord God pray, oh God that you would just touch these people Lord that we love so dearly oh God and Lord we know Lord God that some of these people are doubting Lord and some of them are cynical Lord and some of them have closed their hearts to you Lord because of an incident a situation that happened Lord in their life God but Lord today we pray that you would touch their hearts today God Lord we pray that you would open their hearts oh God Lord we pray today as we intercede for them God that you would begin to draw them Lord God because we can give all the answers in the world God but if their heart is closed to the gospel Lord Jesus they will not come Lord Jesus Lord even in your own word you said in Luke 15 even if someone came back from the dead they would not believe because their hearts are hardened oh God so Lord we pray that you soften their hearts right now and God help us to pray and help us to fast Lord and help us to ask you over and over the Lord of the harvest oh God to begin to draw their hearts again father we thank you Lord for how you drew people today father we thank you that you've helped us Lord to understand your ways a little bit more this morning God and we thank you oh God that even in the midst of suffering God Lord Lord, there's an answer God heaven eternal life is the answer you're good God and you're doing a great work through our life God so bless us in the name of Jesus I pray and everybody said and everybody said amen come on give the Lord a clap offering hallelujah have a great day in Jesus make sure you visit Michael Brown at the back table give somebody a hug on the way out God bless you have a great day I lift my